We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. I coached the B-grade for our Drossen and we belted our arch rivals Maitland by 10 goals yesterday. So I'm in a good mood all round. We're just flying high today. And uh, hey, next week, actually, you won't uh, see our fam down here. Uh, we've, we haven't cancelled church at our Drossen next week. We're mixing it up. And so there's this huge event called the Price Tractor Pool. And they get like over a thousand people. It's a two-day event. Um, it's a tractor pool, but there's all sorts of food and different activities. Well, a few months ago, they asked our church to run the kids' tractor pool and a few other activities. And uh, we already have half the church helping out. One's doing the brekkie, one's doing face painting. A few are doing live music. So we said, church, don't come to the uh, Uniting Hall at 2 p.m. Let's all go to the tractor pool. And we're going to help out and be a part of it. So uh, that's what we're doing for church at Drossen next Sunday. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool because all the organisers of the, of the Price Tractor Pool, none of them come to church. But they thought, oh, we need some help. Who should we ask? And uh, so that was, that's exciting. So uh, I got my lesson on the kids' tractor pool the other day, so I reckon I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Um, sort of. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew, like Darren said, and, and we're going to keep doing that today. And uh, our passage today, uh, we've had kind of set passages we've been speaking from. Uh, and this one today is from the book of Matthew, because we're going through Matthew, chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 14. And uh, we're going to read that together. And it says, About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I'll tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it'll be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? We'll talk about that in a little bit. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? When he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I'll tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. I want you to do something a bit different for me. Just, uh, I want you to imagine something. And then if you need to close your eyes to this, you can do that. Uh, but I want you to imagine you're walking down your, your main street of your town. Well, you might not live in the town, but the town you're near. Who do you see? 
Don't tell me because everyone will talk. Just, just imagine it. Who do you see? Are they your friends? How do you feel when you see them? When you go on the shop, who's working? When you go to work, who's there? Do you have fun working with them or do you have to deal with them? When you go pick up the mail, who do you run into? Who do you see? Who do you interact with? Is that a good feeling to see them or is it a not so great feeling or do you not care or Right, we'll do, we're going to do that again at the end. Lord, we just uh, come to you, look at as a family of faith, Lord God, brothers and sisters, and, and uh, we just invite you to speak to us, lead us, have your way in our lives, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we talk about the passage, it starts with about that time. And so when I was reading this, I thought, well, before I, I kind of look at what Jesus is saying, I better work out what's going on about that time, Right? And that's why it's awesome to go through the whole book. It's because we get the whole story and it builds and it builds and it builds. And uh, if, if you skip back two chapters, it's about that time, right? Uh, I think between 16 to 18, it all kind of happens in a few weeks or a month. And, and you see in, in chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the two religious groups. And they didn't like each other. But they disliked Jesus so much that they came together to try and test Jesus, right? So you've got these two religious groups and they've got lots of opinions and they're trying to form people and they're judging people and they don't like each other, but they dislike Jesus enough to join together, right? <laughs> Be like the Maitland and Ardrossan Football Club joining together, right? Both like football but hate each other. Like, it'll be like joining together, right? So the Phar- they, they join together to test Jesus, and Jesus handles that. And then they, uh, they travel to Caesarea. That's where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, then Jesus says, oh, I'm going to build my church. And then, and then Jesus tells them what's going to happen. Then Peter tells him off. And then Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a bit of a whirlwind, isn't it? You're awesome. No, you're wrong. What's going on? So this is what happened, and then it says six days later is the Mount of Transfiguration, what Dean preached about last week, where Jesus took Peter, John, and James, they went up the mountain, and he's transformed into God's glory. So that's six days after all that happens, and Moses and Elijah appear, God speaks from heaven, all this kind of stuff happens. They come from, down from the mountain, and, they, and the disciples couldn't heal the boy, then Jesus heals the boy. I'm sure some of the disciples are wondering why they got to go up the mountain and they didn't, right? (laughs) I bet you one of them asked that question, how come he got to go up the mountain and I didn't go up the other mountain, right? So all this is going on. Then they arrive in another town and then there's, you can kind of read between the lines, but there's tension about the temple tax, and they say, have you paid the temple tax? And then Jesus makes a few comments and basically saying, look, we shouldn't have to, but we'll do it anyway, so go catch a fish. <laughs> we won't offend them too much yet. Right. See, this is all happening. Right. This is the context. 
You got the, the religious groups joining together against Jesus. You got Peter work, they got the disciples working out who Jesus is, but then getting it wrong at the same time. You've got this argument about the temple tax. You get Jesus glorified on the mountain transfiguration, and some of the disciples get to see it and some don't. Right? This is what's happening. Then it says about this time. And if you read about this time, what did I say? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're dealing with these groups that think they're the best. All right? They think they've got it all worked out. They're better than everyone else. You get Peter who gets it right. You get some of the disciples that get to go up the mountain and some don't. You get people who are trying to do the temple tax and some don't want to pay it. Right? So there's all this kind of pomp, all these. And then they say, who's the greatest? And I think they wanted to hear them. Right? Why else would you ask it? You're not going to ask who's the greatest and hope it's someone else. And so all this is going on. And they go, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? Thinking he's going to say us. And he pulls a little child. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not what they would have been expecting. Right? Like a child. And, and to even understand how children were valued in that day even just blows us up even more. You know, 50% of children didn't live to the age of 10. Uh, in fact, if you were wealthy enough to have slaves, which a lot of homes did, the children would live out with the slaves until they hit puberty because that's when they were of value. And actually, it, it says here, it's not a he or a she, it's a neutral word for a child. And that's because often children were called its objects until they were old enough to be useful. That was just how they saw and valued kids of those days, right? And, and so... Uh, I'm sure maybe that, that was in the Roman world as whole, but that went into the Jewish world. I'm sure some of it crossed over. And so the children weren't all that valued, were they? And then he brings a child and he says, if the greatest is when you become, when you come like these children. Not valued, not welcome, shy, no place, outsiders. These are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Just a few points today from just observing this is, first one is, is we're to come to Jesus like these children. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is this greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Come humbly like a child. What does that even mean? <laughs> right? And it's hard because we put our experiences, our family experiences onto God, right? With our parents, with our children, with family. Uh, surely my child isn't the greatest. My children are right, but they're not the greatest. Like, <laughs> well, Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, we've got a, a perfect Father in heaven. And we're called children of God. And he's a perfect father who is full of love, 
full of wisdom, full of guidance, full of protection. And so if he's our father, how do we approach God? How do we come to God? How do we enter into the kingdom of heaven? And I think this is where we can, this is used as an example to, to make us think about our children and loved ones. And You know, I think about my kids and they don't ask if they could enter into my presence. Right? When I get home, they come on in, they run, they jump, they do what they want, right? And I think when, when we come like children, we come knowing that we're accepted and welcome into God's presence. That you and me, we're children of God and we're welcomed and we're accepted into God's presence all the time. Children don't knock on the door, <laughs> they just come right on in. They don't ask if you're ready, they just come right on in, they just jump. Now children, you know we come to Jesus knowing that he wants to be with us. My kids don't question if I want them. Or I want to hang out with them. They just assume I want to be with them. My kids don't question if we're going to have dinner tonight. If, if their roof is going to be there. You know, when we come as children of God, we know that God's the source of everything we need. Of our comfort, of our provision, of our wisdom, of our strength. Now, when we come humbly as children, we come knowing that Jesus is Lord, he is God, not us. That's that humility, isn't it? It's that I'm not God, I'm not Lord. That's, that, that's submission, isn't it? We come knowing that he is Lord, he is above all, he is God, not me. That's not weakness, that's just the best place of strength you'll find. We come to God knowing that we need him. <laughs> now children will act like they got it all together and they don't need anything until they need something, right? <laughs> They'll be missed or misindependent until they run out of food, until they're scared, or until something goes wrong. We need God. We need Jesus. We need his freedom and forgiveness. You know, humility is coming into God's presence just open and willing just to be moulded, guarded. Saying, God, you know me, you created me. You know what my life holds. You can have your way in my life. You can speak, you can guard, you can mould, you can transform because you're God. And you're a perfect father who only has good gifts for his children. Good gifts of wisdom, of strength, of provision. God our Father. I wonder if, if, if you see God as your Father or, or maybe something else. Some people see God as their judge. Or God as a bit more of a Santa. You come with your shopping list and see if you get it all. Well, you might get one or two things if you've been good. God is a friend, and he's a friend, but he's a father. We're safe, we're welcomed into his presence. He's a source of everything we need. When it doesn't make sense to us, it's okay, because he's there. 
You know, a lot of things aren't going to make sense to us. And as a kid, a lot of things don't make sense to you, but it's okay if, you, if your dad or mum's there. And they might not even... There's some things that my kids get, might be concerned about, and, and they might not even be in a place to understand it all, but it's okay if I'm there. Now, there's some things in life we're actually not going to wrap our head around. But it's okay if the Father's there and he's there, full of grace. Some things that are unfair, some things that don't make sense. It's okay if the Father's there and he's there. Because he's full of comfort and love, welcoming us into his presence. God's our Father and we're to come like children. And then the passage kind of shifts. Jesus is talking about becoming like a child and then everything else is how we interact with him. And so he says, uh, and anyone who welcomes a child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. So he says, hey, you've got to become like children, but then you've got to welcome them. Right. And so it shifts in, in what he's talking about, welcoming children. And does it relate to literal children? Yeah, it does. Welcoming children. They're valued by God. And I love that we've got a church that welcomes children. I love that we've got a kids' church that doesn't just babysit but, but grows in faith, that has fun. That, uh, I love that when we were at dinner last Sunday, we got a lovely uh, older couple and I dropped some Rob and Eugenia and Nancy said at the table, Eugene is my friend. You know, uh, I love that. I love that we've got a multi-generational church where every generation is valued because it is. From the youngest they're valued and the oldest, if you're still breathing, you're here for a reason to be blessed and be a blessing, every generation. And so we are to value and welcome children. We are to love our kids. But I think it also represents something about Jesus' greater ministry, right? He's always welcoming those people that aren't welcome. Children, women weren't welcome at the time, he was welcoming them. The lepers, the tax collectors, right? The gospel for all nations, the Gentiles. Jesus is welcoming everyone who the religious leaders didn't welcome. And so I think it's a bit about children, but it's also a bit about this attitude we have of welcoming those in. And when he's talking to the disciples, he's not talking to the big crowds now. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the people that know who he is and believe in him. And he's saying, hey, when you welcome these, you're welcoming me. Think about that. When we welcome and value the children, we're welcoming and valuing Jesus. When people that don't have faith come into contact with us, when we welcome and value them, we're welcoming and valuing Jesus. When people are starting on their journey in faith, when we welcome and value them, we're welcoming and valuing Jesus. That's what he's saying. He said it elsewhere. He says, when you, when you give someone who, a drink who's thirsty, you're giving me a drink. When you clothe someone who's naked, you, you, you're clothing me. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, church, we're, we're called to be salt and light. 
So once we follow Jesus, we grow in our faith, but it's actually about everyone else now. We're called to be light, we're called to be witnesses, we're called to be ambassadors, and we're called to welcome in. We're called to welcome, but we're also called to protect. Jesus used some, seems like drastic language, large millstone around your neck, cut your arm off, gouge out your eye. And Jesus isn't promoting self-mutilation, right? He's trying to prove a point. I don't know if you remember the Beatitudes, he did the same thing. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not saying go cut off all your hands. We'd have no hands left, right, would we? Right. (laughs) He's not saying go cut everything off. He's saying as soon as you go down that path, just change immediately. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey... When, when, these, when these kids come in, when these people new in faith look at him, when they come, <coughs> if you start to take him down a path that isn't great, change. Here's another way to think about it. Protect them. Protect. That's really what it is, isn't it? It's protecting. How can we protect? How can we cover Think about children, think about people new in faith. How can you support? How can you encourage? How can you cheer on? How can you speak life? How can you stand with them? We're called to protect, we're called to cover. And, and you protect and cover in relationship. Now if you ever feel to speak into someone's life, you better be willing to do relationship with them. If you're not, don't. <laughs> right? Because some conversations can only have an ongoing relationship, isn't it? So we're called to welcome in, we're called to protect, stand. Then he says in verse 10, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. Whenever to look down. And if we're honest, we can be pretty good at this, can't we? Whether it's children or other people or each other, or they're saying that, or they reacted like that. Or they're still dealing with that. Or they haven't gotten over that yet. Or they're doing this or they're doing that. It's so easy. He says, don't look down. Don't look down. It's not your job. Welcome, protect, cover, cheer them on. Don't look down on them. You know, we treat family different to strangers. Right? You might see a, a naughty kid in the shops and they're just being a little mongrel. Oh, no discipline. They probably do it all the time. Then your kid does it. Oh, well, they haven't had a full night's sleep. I haven't had a full night's sleep. They're teething. Uh, dad's away working. There's a lot going on here. We're doing our best. It's just a bad day. But when someone else does it, they're a little, little demon. Right? We treat family different than strangers, don't we? Right? Oh, they're just going through it a bit at the moment. Oh, they're always like that. Like we have different standards. Right? I wonder if we could just have different standards or just standards for each other. Where we don't look down. We don't judge. We see the best. We give grace to each other like we'd like ourselves. Or we give to those close to each other. 
Don't look down. Protect, welcome. See the best. Each other, when people come in, children, that they're made in the image of God, that they're valued by God, known by God, created by God, loved by God. My last point, remember the Father's value. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go out and search for the one that is lost? If he finds it, he'll rejoice more over the one than the 99 who didn't wander away. In the same way as not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. What's this talk about lost and found? This is how I like to think about it. We're created to know God. Jesus said this is eternal life to know God. We're made in his image and we all are created for a God-given purpose and we have different gifts and skills and abilities and personalities but at the core we have one purpose to what we're created for that's to know God and the rest comes after that right and so if we're created to know God if we know God that's where we're meant to be we're home and if we don't know God we're lost that's how I look at it and so we're created to know God and the father's heart is that every little one, is that every person in our community would know him. That's the Father's heart. Is that everyone. And that needs to be our heart. Now it's interesting, Jesus talks about becoming like a child. (coughs) You know, children... Children don't often start with judgment or opinions about everyone, do they? I remember when Nancy was just starting to learn how to talk and I, I say hello to everyone in the shops. This is what you do, especially I'm in the shops lots when I draw some. And I remember one particular day, Nancy would have been about 18 months and she was going, hey mate, to the roughest looking bloke she could find <laughs> in Drake's. She's not thinking, I wonder what they're up to. Or You know, children in our church, let, let's value. Let's welcome. Let's not look down. Let's protect. Let's value. Now, it's interesting. Every psychologist and every scientist will tell you that those child years are the most formative years in a, in a person's life. Maybe Jesus was onto something. Maybe Jesus said, hey, let's get this right. I wonder if the keys could come, please, Sarah. We're going we're gonna to do what we did at the start. We're going to imagine our town again. Or where you live. You can close your eyes, be up and just imagine. Imagine walking down the main street. Who do you see? Who do you interact with? Who waves to you? Who doesn't? (laughs) Who serves you coffee? Who who drives by? Who lives next door? 
Who do you see at work? Who's the supplier? Who's at school? God loves them so much. They're made in the image of God. They're known by God. They're valued by God. They're loved by God. And it's, it's his heart that none of them should perish and that every one of them would know his love, his forgiveness, his freedom. And I think sometimes it can be too easy for us to lose the Father's heart. And instead of welcoming, protecting, valuing, not looking down, we can maybe forget they're there. We could build opinions and grudges or just avoid even. But the Father's heart is that each and every one of them would know him, know love, freedom, forgiveness. And he says, when you're welcome, you're welcoming me. (laughs) Protect them, cover them, value them, don't look down. I wonder where you are right now. Why don't you just, in your own way, just pray for those people you see when you imagine interacting where you do. Pray that they have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. Pray that they would know the living God. Pray that wherever they are in faith, that they'll go on in that journey. Pray for peace and joy. Pray for heaven to come. What if you could think of children in your world? Maybe just pray for them. The beauty of a family of faith, whether we have children or not, we're called to be brothers and sisters, aunties, uncles, grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, mums and dads. I love having my kids in church because they get about 40 aunties and uncles, 40 grandparents. Just thinking of kids, you know, just pray for them. Pray that God protects them. Pray, Pray for their faith to grow. Pray for joy and peace. Pray for that they'd know God's voice. We're going to finish in a moment, but we're just going to spend a moment and I just want us to come into God's presence as children. I feel like that might be a foreign concept to some of us. You are welcomed into God's presence. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to pour out his life-giving spirit to you. When you come into God's presence, he smiles upon you. You don't have to work your way in. You don't have to sneak your way in. You're welcomed, invited. When you come into God's presence, he's full of joy. You're his beloved. You bring him joy. 
You don't have to come in with it all together. You can come in as you are, warts and all. You can be honest and vulnerable and he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to shake your head. He's not going to roll his eyes. You and me, we're welcomed into God's presence as we are because he's our perfect, loving Father in heaven. And, and Sarah's just going to sing that last song we did. And pray, worship, listen. This is new. Just, just sit still and wait. Just be still in God's presence and just see what he says or does. Or... But let's just for a moment, let's just come like children. Without an agenda, without suspicion. Let's just sit and be still and talk and listen to our Father.